have a clat-based Siri-enabled video game application? Griffin, it should be obvious that I don't. <laughs> Man, why aren't we there yet? All they because all they want to do is they all they want to do is they want to listen to me and they want to figure out what kind of milk I'm buying. They don't want to do cool shit like I can snap and um, the disco ball comes out. Actually, it happened somehow during when I was watching Dune, um, where someone someone said something in the in the movie that turned on my phone and had my phone look up the phrase "the emperor is a jealous man." <laughs> That's a very funny thing for your phone to search. I know. And I'm sure, I'm sure there was a lot of hits. Yeah, um, there was a lot of weird stuff, stuff you wouldn't have expected to see. <laughs> uh, Lux, um, before we get, you know, to the business of our, our weekly chore of doing this podcast. Yeah, before we put ourselves through the endless misery of having to talk for an hour. I, I needed I needed to say, you know, off the record, um, you we, you you get you buying any phase clan stock? No, we got to we got to get in on, on phase clan. Should we do an official Game Boys Phase Clan investment where we each put in like 15 bucks? Yeah. You know, maybe we add a couple of zeros to that. I'm talking about investing big. You know, it's it's the hot new stock on the market. If, if, if you know, if for, for those traders in the audience, um, Phase Clan has gone public. Uh, it's now an finally. IP and it's finally an IPO. Exactly. Um now, how is finally, that true or real? Well, it's because it just happened. FaZe Clan, they just released a video on Twitter. They are a publicly traded company now, um, which means that we're one step closer to like a gamer market collapse. I'm so sick of it being because some like Wolf of Wall Street, boring guy who's just on like your normal like methamphetamines, you know, killing a few people, being just a Wall Street guy. No. Now we got gamers destroying the financial system. And that's beautiful. Yeah, no, that is good. Um, it's nice to see. I mean, it started with game stonks, right? Like gamers have sort of been pushing their way into the marketplace for yeah, about a why year. Can't now. We have, we've listened. If like one of the one of the gamers most beloved genres is a game where you just go into an open world sandbox and destroy everything in sight it's it's gamers favorite pastime so you know naturally they're gonna they're gonna take it to the world stage and they're gonna I mean, do it better we're gonna do it right if there's one thing gamers love it's ruining stuff because because guess what if the gamers ruin the market then they'll also be the ones that get bailed out by the government. So it'd be incredible for once gamers getting bailed out in a crisis. God, you, you got, we kind of need it. Honestly, it's our time. Listen, no, it's our if, moment. If, okay. I, listen, we're at a point where a lot of people would take the option to wait in a bread line for like three hours a day and go home to a PS five. That's an option a lot of people would see is more favorable to their current scenario. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, you're not wrong. A lot of people would say, look, I'll live in a, a hell for 10 hours out of the day. But as long as I can go do my death loops, I'm feeling good. 
as long as my controller is giving me haptic feedback, I'm ready to go back to the mines. You know, we're every day, Lux, we reach closer to the Christmas apocalypse, to the darkest year ever for gamers. And I feel it creeping. I feel we're we're so close to, to Black Friday and all of the ensuing chaos and dismemberment and death. Yeah. Actually, on that point, a uh, friend of the show, artist, general correspondent, uh, texture correspondent in particular, Rory Blank, and I were talking yesterday about how there's been this uptick in just like publicly violent behavior the past mm-hmm. year and change because as like lockdown has broken people's brains. Mm-hmm. And I think that this year's batch of people going crazy at Black Friday is going to be like orders of magnitude beyond anything we've ever seen before. No, it's like every every Black Friday before this was an absolute tutorial level, like a walk in the park. Like there, people are going to die in, in like Aztec ways. Yeah, there's like, going to be great sacrifices. It won't just be like, oh, this guy got run over after he tripped while trying to grab an Xbox. It'll be like this guy got stabbed nine times for like looking at a controller. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Like someone's thought someone had a controller and it wasn't. It was just a, it was a baguette. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then fucking gah, 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 gah. a lot more premeditated murder stuff. Like that's how Batman's parents died. Actually, they had a yeah. PS5. They had a baguette and someone thought it was a PS5. Oh, yeah. That's what yeah. they're like. Look uh, at that PS5. Oh, it's just a loaf. <laughs> God, I fucked up. Gonna go home and make some salami and apple sandwiches. <laughs> It's 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 tough out there, and I and I, f- I feel it creeping closer each day. I mean, I I was in the market for a second for a graphics card, and and you know my my friend who is a pur- a purveyor of o- online purchases, um, this is a an audience member that secured me a playstation 5 um i I talked to my guy he's my guy he's where i get the goods the the hot items that no one else can get and i was like you know how can i get a graphics card right now and even he was like you don't want nothing to do with this (laughs) you you want to stay away from this yeah (laughs) far away i believe it right we were talking about this with a steam deck where i was looking at that and it's like eight months to get one or whatever like Mm-hmm. It's just like anything that depends on that supply chain is just fucked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's all anyone wants for Christmas. Yeah, and, and it's just like there's gonna start to be a real psycho behavior, like the next wave of whatever this new psychosis we've all been thrust into. It's it's all coming ahead in the next two months, and it's like you know, batten down the hatches, gamers. I mean, look, I'll say this. For the past kind of year, if you and I have sort of been like, was it dumb that we bought those PS5 so fast? Was mm-hmm. it a waste of our money and time? And it seems t- harder now. To that I say, yeah. To that I say two things. One <laughs> is, seems harder now. Two, <laughs> if we try to buy one now, there's like a way higher chance of dying. Yeah. <laughs> like we exactly. bought one during like the safest time to be getting PS5s. Like in terms of like physical existential safety. So, yeah, you should like but before if you're going to buy a PS5 now, buy a gun first. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, it's crazy. I've like Forrest and I are still trying to get PS5s for people and it is so crazy. It's still crazy. He's still good at it, which is fucked up. Right. Yeah, people I love the people that are addicted to it. They're addicted to that struggle. Yeah, it's Forrest so like needs people to need PS5s cuz he like is crazy for getting them. 
Right. It, it is it is sort of the greatest kindness you can do someone. Yeah, because you're saving them from having to go into like a literal like roguelike dungeon. Let's say you're you're a Make-A-Wish kid and you need a brain transplant. You know, you maybe maybe you take the PS5 first. Maybe harder to get. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, listen, there's brains everywhere. Yeah, and people are always making new ones. Yeah, that that that, and and you don't have to get them from China. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to. You can get them from anywhere. <laughs> uh, uh, everyone's yeah, got brains. Brains, um, folks. Everyone's got brains. Welcome to Game Boys. Welcome to Game Boys podcast about video games, which it kind of was for like the first intro in months. So big ups to us for that. Uh, I'm, I'm one. Of, th- I'm Lux, and I'm one of your hosts. I'm I'm Griffin. I'm I'm the second host, and it's always about video games. You can trace everything back to it. That's in true, some way. Sometimes, or it's at least like, how it affects me, a gamer. Right. That's what I was gonna say. Sometimes the connection <laughs> is like we're complaining about a bird we saw, and but you're like, but I saw it, and I do play video games. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. joining us, as always, the real MVP. Producer Haley on the ones and twos, on the knobs and dials, on the bones and bloods. Bones and bloods? Yeah, like the parts that make up a body. Oh, okay. It's like like Halloween stuff, you know? Oh, I thought that was the dangerous new Austin gangs. Uh, Yeah, well, it's that too, but I'm just pulling, you know, I'm pulling from what I know. I would 100% be on the bones. Yeah. It's like, well... The bone, like you, you aren't even the bloods. You're just blood. Like that's that's a terrible g- gang. Yeah, or I mean, blood. Bones is definitely superior. You've already got the bloods. I don't think there's any bones gang. And that's a mistake. Yeah, frankly, uh, branding error. Speaking of mistakes, Hell let's yeah. get let's get to a few video game news topics before we we get into the main subject, the title of the episode. The Dunasode. Oh, yeah. The Dunist? The Dunasode. The Dunasode? Yeah. Dunasode. Sure, sure, sure. Doesn't really roll off the tongue, but that's what the title is, I guess. Well, I mean, I've just been saying it because you started saying it like sure. two weeks ago. So I kind of latched and onto you, it. And you know what? It's good to self-critique. It's good to take a step back. Yeah. No, you're it's doing good. self-crit. And honestly, that's very powerful and positive for the community. And I'm doing it on a public stage, showing other people that they can do it too. Um, it's okay to make mistakes. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> sorry, it's like, so now that I've taught this valuable lesson, let's mistakes. discuss let's Halo. Talk about, <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk about. Oh, you want to talk about Halo first? Okay, we can talk about Halo first. Uh, I, I was going to segue into the GTA trilogy to start it off. Sure. GTA trilogy. They've brought the games that you remember that you love up for the next generation. They've turned everything into HD and by HD, I mean, they've turned everyone into like a Fortnite character. It's really cell shady and cartoony looking. And I think they look like Fortnite NPCs. I think it looks good for building. Mm -hmm. I think it looks bad for human. Yeah. Well, it just looks very different. Yeah, and it looks very cartoony in a way that is weird. With... To the point where it, it loses a little bit of the soul, I think. But maybe that's just the, the trailer shots. I mean, maybe. I do think that... I think there's part of me that likes it leaning into cartoony in the sense that that really opens up the, like, click, click, boom, I don't care who I kill kind of element of it for me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the cartoonier it is, the easier it is to like just do low stakes massacre stuff. But part of the fun, especially the later games, is that like there was a kind of emotional seriousness undercutting the satire elements. Right. And the cartoonier they are, you kind of lose that a little bit, I think. Yeah. I also, this one was kind of obvious that they would fix it, but it it was still visually surprising was, you know, the, the most iconic thing about the Grand Theft Auto series was the hands. Like from all of the Grand Theft Auto games, they had these just massive, horrible bear paws for hands. And they insisted on like using them a lot. Like they would like hold phones or they'd like slap some lady's ass, which was like also like a rectangle. Like they like they did not shy away from showing these giant bear paws. And now in the remaster, they have fingers. And I guess that's obvious. I guess that's what you do when you remaster it. But I don't know. <laughs> to <It's>, me, <laughs> that's, I don't know. Well, it's weird because they did. In the original games, I would have just HD'd them. <laughs> in, in the original games, they did a thing that you see a lot if you work in the entertainment industry. Which sure. is they have a bad idea, but they are yeah. convinced that it's good actually. And just lean all the way into it. So it's like not only were the hands chunky, but like you said they were heavily featured. Yes. And so now they have to fix it. And in some ways that's obvious and good. You have these nasty hands. Let's get them less nasty. They're going to be on the screen all the time. But on the other hand, you've also gotten that we've grown used to everyone in Grand Theft Auto world having horrible hands. Mm-hmm. That's like part of the charm, right? Yeah. And so it is kind of sad to lose that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so I guess like the nature of a remaster for me is to like, you know, make the graphics like slightly better and like more HD or maybe like redefine things, but like always keep it within the original spirit of the game. Like and, and the second that things become like two from the ground up reset, it, it it's weird. Um, yeah, well, I just think that like if they if you're going to do that, then you should just be making kind of a remake or like a total re- redo of the game. Yeah, that's the distinction, I guess. But yeah, so you can remake a game into a lot of stuff. But when a remaster is like changing some of the fundamental flavor of the game, I feel like it's not really doing its job. Mm-hmm. Like the goal is to make like an old game with old weird flavor look and feel contemporary, not yes. to like undo the old mistakes or whatever. And also add like maybe a little quality of life improvement here or there. Like yeah. for instance, in San Andreas, there was like some like unskippable unskippable cutscene parts or some parts that um, were like really long trips back if there was the slightest mistake. Um, and so it's like, oh, there could be checkpoints like on some of the longer missions or something like that. Like, yeah. like that's the kind of stuff that I would show off in a remaster trailer. Not like, oh, look, we literally we friggin' we turn there's Rick and Morty. It's like it's like I feel like we're one step away from Rick and Morty walking away in the background. Um and it's like, yeah, whatever. I mean, I can go back and play the old game still uh, for now. 
I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they're not going to get rid of it at least. Um, but speaking about things that from the past that have been brought to the modern stage, I did also want to see if you saw any of these reactions from people, the first people to play with the N64 controller and the Nintendo Switch online system. <laughs> not yet. I have the video queued up. But I just haven't looked at it quite yet. Well, it's a disaster. Um, that is kind of what I smelled. <laughs> Um, the, uh, a lot of the Nintendo 64 ports are nightmarish in terms of the glitches that are happening on them. Like sometimes Mario's voice is like really slowed down and the music is all glitchy. Um, and it's, it's, it's just like that they just completely biffed it on this one. They like put an intern in charge of this and gave him like $30. That's such a bummer because really Nintendo... And you know, I'm talking about this like Nintendo. They're such jokesters. Yeah. They're so lazy. Yeah, but Nintendo had been so good about like, hey, look, what's the, like? They're not good at everything. They do lazy, fucked up shit constantly. But mm-hmm. the one thing they've been doing for a while that I liked was being like, what's the shit people want? Oh, it's this. We'll put a bunch of money into that. Yeah. Um, and this seemed like a clear one of those, and it just, I guess, they just like totally ate shit. Uh, I mean, it seems like they just don't in they don't know how to do anything other than make the game like like anything outside of that in terms of business or like play like like ways for players to access your content, way, ways for players to have a modern experience accessing your content and sharing it with their friends like none of that matters to them. They just re- they just are only ever thinking about what occurs inside the rom inside the game um well i mean that's they, to me that's the good stuff yeah but it's so funny that they just seem to like almost like obstinately refuse to get good at the other parts <laughs> that's to me very good <laughs> because it's like you're like a what like a billion dollar trillion dollar franchise company and like you can't get any kind of like business people to come in and like do that part for you. It seems like a, like a like a direct, just like rejection uh, of all of those basic business practices that like a successful company would do. Oh yeah. No fucking Nintendo has very little time for like contemporary game environment. I guess what my point is, is that it seems less like, I think it's stupid either way, but it seems less like not an like a not like a a misthought or an afterthought, but something they just don't like doing and refuse to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's it, right? Like Nintendo loves the part where they make the games that everybody likes, and they hate the part where anything else where they have to get it to people. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah. So like people have been saying that like, it's cool that they got to buy an N64 controller for the switch, but like the controllers aren't mapping to the games and the frame rates are all crashing. uh, The games look like shit. And to top it all off, it's like an incredibly expensive service. They're charging for it. How much is it? It's a fuck ton a year. It's like a lot of money. Um, It's exactly uh, one fuck ton. It's one fuck ton, you know, and this is hardcore reporting where I don't remember the number, but let me tell you, it was an outrageous number. I believe that. Um, And so, you know, that's just we'll put a cap there in terms of remakes, remasters and bringing the dead back to life. You know, sometimes we can't play God.
Sometimes we can. Sometimes we can't. And that's the truth. Um, All right. Should we talk about hello? Let's talk about hello. Let's talk about the god of first person shooting. All right. So I watched. a company that doesn't make it. I watched the trailer for Halo Halo Infinite. Infinite. Now, this is the campaign trailer, a big trailer that just dropped this week. You know, we've been we had Halo multiplayer come out and people played the beta of that. But the campaign has been very, very secretly tucked away for a long time after their sort of uh, failed uh, and botched trailers at E3. Right. And so I watched the trailer and I thought this looks pretty all right, I guess. And then my second thought was. I can't wait for Griffin to tell me how it's in fact not all right and his dog shit. So, well, Griffin, hmm. what you got? I mean, I, I, I'm actually going to surprise you here and say this is actually the most optimistic I've been about the game in a long time. Whoa. Um, I, I, I think that the sort of on rails tiered leveling system of, of the Halo games really only was made good by Bungie and like the companies afterwards have like it's just been kind of soulless so why not like Ubisoft it why not turn the halo ring into an open world map that you like travel to settlements for you know why not yeah I mean you might as well take a swing at the point where like the old formula just ain't it no more because I was like I was super super uninterested with the idea of playing the halo infinite on rails level by level story campaign by a bunch of nerds they're just gonna make me have to just deal with bs but some but like just the experience of like taking the mechanics of halo and turning it into like something that i am traversing over a, an open world scenario and setting and just seeing how they do that and how they apply it that's something new that's something unfortunately Maybe not fresh for video games in general, but certainly fresh for the Halo series. Big um, fresh for Halo. Yeah, and so uh, that that is the first time that anything about the game has like intrigued me. Not in the sense where I'm like, open world means good. Oftentimes it means boring and bland. But like, it's I'm curious now. Yeah, but there's a little bit of juice there for you at least. So that's that's good. Yeah, I thought like the forward operating base stuff and some of the mission stuff seemed kind of fun. Having like a garage of vehicles seems neat. Yeah, totally. Uh, it just seemed like there's a lot more to do with it that made it feel a lot less like, like you said, a lot less like the on rails kind of shooter and gave it a little bit more spice. And yeah. also, I think made it feel like the campaign and the multiplayer felt more like stylistically connected. Totally. Um, like the on rail slaughter fest of the older games, like nothing like what the multiplayer was really. Um, and this feels a little bit more similar. But I think that yeah. makes sense and is good. I, and I, and, and to speak to what you're saying about sort of like stylistically, the, online and the campaign but also i i guess sort of yeah just they it seems more cohesive in terms of like a modern product that's like oh like maybe i'll like log on to the multiplayer side and like unlock a new skin or oh i'll unlock a thing in the campaign that gets me a new skin in, in the multiplayer there seems to be a lot more um like cohesion there than in like oh, here is like the on rails Halo campaign shooter you play once and then you never click on it again 
and you are going to always be over here or whatever on the right. Yeah. If there's more of an open world did sense to it and enough things to do, maybe there isn't, who knows, but that, that, that seems to like work a lot more, at least in the modern era. It just, it's just good. It just seems better. Yeah. It's a lot choicier than Halo has historically been. I think that's good because choiciness is something that a lot of people value in games. Uh, and these it's got days. a fucking grappling hook, man. And you know, it's like, I'm gotta a sucker. Love that. Gotta love a grappling hook. I'm a sucker to, to do, to see, to do some hooking. Um, and so, yeah, I'm like, you know what? If I'll probably, if this is, this going to be an Xbox game pass. Are they seriously not going to charge people for this? I think it might be on the G pass. I keep on really. Wow. That's gonna be wild. Well, you might get your chance gonna, to play hollow. I'm gonna pay $10 for that. That's crazy to me. Well, plus, you like, know. I get, I get why like psychonauts too, like how that might be a deal for them. Because they're like a smaller company. But when I think about Halo and only having to pay $10 for it, I, I feel like we're in a real movie pass scenario here. Yeah. I mean, you'd think so, but it just sort of depends. Like, like is someone about to be like lose their job? Like, is someone about to be executed at Xbox? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about it as well. Cause like basically they're making it guaranteed that people buy the equivalent of two games a year, basically, right? Ten bucks a month, hundred twenty dollars a year. It's about two games, right? Yeah, right. Um, they're making that the guarantee for like anyone who does Games Pass, and I just like, is that what they expect from their fucking gamer demo? I do. People buy only one game a year now. Is that what they're worried about? <laughs> yeah, like I don't. Oh. That doesn't make sense to me. But like, you know, they have an accountant, and I don't. <laughs> Yeah, or maybe they don't. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Um, but um, you know, that's that's that with the Halo Infinite. I I, I knew I said it was gonna suck, but now I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, the last thing I want to talk about in the news this week, Lux, BlizzCon is canceled. You ha- have to get a refund for our tickets now. All right, I'll send the email right after this. Which we purchased within the last couple of weeks. Yeah, which we actually purchased in response to the problems. We were like, well, now we got to see what happens. We were, yeah, we were there because like they need their biggest fans to support them through these hard times so they can get better. Yeah, and those fans are us. The guy who quit playing Blizzard games and the other one who doesn't play Blizzard games. I unfortunately, um, you, I have to use the Battle.net's app to play call of duty so i'm like still in that weird i I guess that's activision technically now but i don't know i feel like i'm still rubbing shoulders with wow and i don't like it like you and wow still go to the same bar feels like we go to the same high school oh wow that's even more tense and we also go to the same bar after school and we're both like how are you how do we both get in here yeah how did any of us why are there so many <laughs> teens at this bar <laughs> yeah um, but, did somebody tell them to stop but in a letter uh, to the community post today on blizzard's website uh the developer said that putting on a massive event like blizzcon takes the time and energy of everyone at the company time and energy that blizzard feels this time would be better to put towards supporting our teams and progressing development of our games and experiences um which they, you know, it, it, I, I, I do agree. It, it does take a lot of time and energy to like 
burn incriminating evidence, hire giant union busting firms, uh, fire, uh, <laughs> yeah, find <laughs> anyone who's, uh, who's out talk- the rats. <laughs> yeah. Find anyone who's talking about organizing and make sure they get fired and sent to an Island. Y'all have been busy and I understand why it would be exhausting to put on a big party for yourself right now. Um, but I, I just want to say to any, any blizzard exec, don't let this be a time where you don't pat yourself on the back. Okay. Yeah. Make sure Get you up. feel good about this. Yeah. Make sure you feel good about this. Make a TikTok about it. Anyways, um, BlizzCon has been canceled, which, you know, begs the question, Lux, you know, <laughs> in this time where some say that no one's ever truly canceled, will this be the last BlizzCon or will there be many more BlizzCons to come? Um, gosh, that is... I. I can't imagine it's the last one. They've had so many that have been so successful for them. Mm-hmm. And also there's so many events that are tied to BlizzCon. Like what I've been thinking about today is where are the StarCraft II World Championships going to happen now? You know, their BlizzCon is where it happens every year, but not this year, I guess, because there's isn't going to be one. They're going to happen at Bill Cosby's house. Well, that seems like a, a bizarre and awful choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, because of the Cosby Suite, right? And and that is where they played all the games, yeah, at the original uh, championships. But yeah, I, I'm curious just because. Um, I'm likely to say yes. There will be many more BlizzCons. I mean, Louis C.K. is doing sets in L.A. again. Yeah, it, it's it seems like especially for a, when you have lots and lots of money, that's really the important factor. Um, it it becomes more a test of endurance and like personal shame uh, than anything else. Yeah, I I I kind of agree. Like, as long as you can pay to insulate yourself from stuff, you'll just insulate yourself from stuff. Mm -hmm. Unless, you know, they have some super awesome like free merch at the event where you get a free Murloc or something like that. That could bring everyone back. Right. Well, that's the thing is like, I wonder if the number of niche events tied to BlizzCon will make it like live again. Do you know what I mean? Like they have to have the Star Trek, the Star Wars or the Starcraft competition somewhere. They have to have the Hearthstone competition somewhere. Yeah. At the end of the day, also, it's like there are so many quote unquote gamer content creators that will do absolutely anything. Like they will do anything if they're told they get to make content for something. And so it's just like, oh, if there's an event like BlizzCon that they can go and live stream, they're going to do it. Oh, yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, look, Forrest and I have been trying to figure out how to live stream from the Fazoli's that's located inside the cryogenic freezing building for like three weeks. And that's like not even a third of what BlizzCon is. We get the world we deserve, folks. Uh, and on that note, that was the video game news for the week. Um, Let's. Do, I was going to talk about Spooky Warzone, but you know, I, I don't know. What, we can talk. We can get into the real meat since we've gone so long. Yeah. Let's do. Let's do a quick ad break. Oh, smart. Um. So we'll get into a good ad break, and then we'll come back, and we will begin the true meat of the Dune episode. Okay. Um, now, everyone, audience, get ready to hear a little bit uh, from Juan Carlo Esposito about um, his 
collaboration with Game Boys on Far Cry 6. Yeah, absolutely. That's not what they're going to hear. And and now to Juan Carlo. It's Jean Carlo. And also back to the show. Senor um, Esposito. All right. Welcome back to the Game Boys. Um, he was nicer than on the show. No, he's super nice. I met him crazy. I met him a bunch of times because he used to live in the town where I went to college and we got sandwiches at the same place. That's the thing, you know, nice guys. Sometimes they finish first. Yeah, I think sometimes they finish first and sometimes they finish fring. God, I I missed your joke. The inner totally missed your joke. The Internet connection just shattered your joke. Oh, no. Well, it was really an awful one. So that's okay. It's so it's so mysterious what it wants. It's so finicky. All right. So. Welcome back to the Game Boys podcast, <laughs> ladies, gentlemen, friends beyond the binary, for our third attempt at talking about Dune. Hopefully there will be no tech problems here. Uh, let's just get right to the gristle. Griffin, how'd you feel about Dune? I'm ready to do a fourth take on Dune, if possible. I'm, That's how I'm much so I like not. Dune. <laughs> yeah, you you're not? To, I don't want to do a fourth take on it, but I am happy to keep repeating the phrase, I love Dune, into this microphone over and over again. Listen, I say we we stop right here. We loop this for the next 30 minutes. That's going to be the review. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I really fucking liked it. Um, You were saying when we got tech cut off, I want to just bring you back to this. that This is your favorite Denny Villeneuve movie. Yeah, it's my favorite, favorite Denny movie. We're on a nickname basis. Um, Yeah, I liked Arrival. Um, and I liked parts of Blade Runner, but they never were like my favorite. I never was like, this is perfect and like exactly my jam. Like there was pretty parts, but there was like, it was never something I was like, I want to like revisit this. I just need more of this, but this is this I need more of. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree to. So here's how I feel about that, which is sort of similar. I really liked Prisoner and I really liked Enemy, his like earlier kind of weird cop mm-hmm. mystery thriller movie things. Um, I like those a lot, but then I thought it was weird that he made this transition into like big sci-fi from that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. very different. And I liked Arrival and I thought Blade Runner was fine. I think I'm in the same boat as you with that. And then this really felt a lot closer in some ways to those early movies, just in terms of how like specific and stylish and precise everything was. Um, and yes. I really liked that. Like there's, like, for instance, one of my favorite things about the movie is that when the, like, little ornithopter, like, floating bird helicopter guys start up, like, you can really see all the little gears moving in the wings and, like, right. how they attach and how they move. And it's really, like, it's really detailed. And every element of the movie is like that. And I thought that was – had a much more, like, indie movie feel in the sense that indie movies tend to lean on those kind of specifics more than big sweeping movies do. And I really thought it was impressive how they had that level of attention detail in every single shot. Because every, every detail uh, when your sci-fi movie is done correct is also like world building and an explanation of like time and place and like how everything works. And that's what's so great about all the little touches. Uh, I 100% agree with you. Yeah, I thought the the art style and, and the direction, the music from Hans Zimmer, all that stuff was great. And obviously the, the, ca- the cast was great, but... I was also just really struck on on, uh, on like a narrative level with this with this film that like 
it is sort of like the Game of Thrones of Star Wars, where it like it kind of like makes Star Wars kind of look like Lord of the Rings and that like they're good and they're epic, but like good and evil are like very, very flat and obvious. It's like, oh, there's there's the there's the orcs. Um, but, you know, in Dune, like the conflicts are all like largely structurally like, I guess, so, uh, like similar to Star Wars, but like the politics and how they're enacted out and like the realities of that world are a lot like darker, um, more mature and like a lot more and more calculated and adult. Yeah. I mean, well, that's even true with like the Dune books, right? The Dune books were like very much a response to sort of old timey, like big fantasy sci-fi adventures. These like big sweeping, clear black and white narratives of like, these are the heroes saving the world from robots or whatever. Um, Dune was like always a response to that. And I thought this movie, like you said, I think you did a really good job of, of this was to Star Wars as as Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, I think makes a lot of sense because this does take sort of your traditional good guy, bad guy dichotomies and really, I mean, it maintains some of them, right? But it flips some of them on their head. Um, There's definitely some really bad guys in the world, but like it's but the the reason their reasonings are like sp- very specifically political and like economic and 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 uh, and just more lived in than I'm. I'm a goopy monster. Yeah, totally. Even, and <laughs> yeah. even though Selene Skarsgård is a goopy monster, is a goopy monster, but with a plan. Yeah, for with sure. A vision. A goopy monster with a plan. Um, yeah. I, I also just found that it's it was just so. I actually didn't like the score that much, to be honest. Um, Mm. I found it to be like kind of grating and distracting, but it never, it never really bothered me because I thought that the sound design beyond the score was like out of control. Mm -hmm. Um, That they had such a good job of using silence and of using small noises and of using like wind and moving sand and like, like wings beating like, or like rumbles to just cultivate such a sense of place and tension that like, Mm -hmm. even though I didn't super love all the like sounds, I just, Mm -hmm. I was fucking in love with the, with the soundscape. And I thought that like it, it did a really good job of, it doesn't get into some of the more complicated themes of the Dune book. Cause like the Dune book is very ambiguous about how we should feel about Paul's adventure. Um, but it kind of hints that that's going to come later. That like part two is going to get into like. Well, the the movie clearly has a very specific feeling about it that's different from the book, or or at least more placed on one side of the issue. Yeah. Well, I think the 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 movie definitely in the first at least the first the first movie right because they've already greenlit part two as of today. Um. So that's happening. And this first yeah. movie does seem to be like a clear hero's journey thing where we're on Paul's team. Um, and I'm so stoked they made part two. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm so stoked for part two to complicate that because like even the first movie raises this question of like, is it good if a bunch of space witches have been telling people that there's yeah. a messiah coming and this guy shows up and is like, that's me. Like, is, yes. that, is it good if that happens? Like, and, and it's clear the movie doesn't think so. And it, yeah. And so, and it's clear that the Fremen are, have been like abused and like, yeah, it, it, it's, it, it, the movie is, is sort of, yeah, is having a more thoughtful approach to the stuff. Yeah. And I think that it's, and even though the book gets really deep into that stuff in the back half, the movie did a good job of setting up uh, that 
it will get deeper into that. Like, yeah, and it, and I'm so glad there's a part two because like yeah, this it, this movie just would have been so frustrating and incomplete without it. And and in, honestly, in the in a truly just world, like Dennis should have been given like the Peter Jackson treatment and just gone to go make three movies all at once. Like, yeah, like that's really like what should have happened here. It was like some sort of like six to seven hour epic. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the 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 movie is is just solid from the beginning because there's this like I don't know if we want to like get into any of the specifics of no, it. We but should, let's do we're doing if we're doing a Dune episode, let's do details. I think I think we got like half I, an I, hour, so. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to talk more about it. It's like the. the it's like it starts off with this, like you know, this this planet, uh, this ocean planet of like Caladan, where you know, uh, Timothy Chalamet and his, I guess, dad Oscar Isaac feels more like an uncle character. If I'm yeah, being the real. only time that they really have father son vibes is when. Chalamet joins the War Council and they're framed and like hair done in a really specific way to be like, oh. They do kind of look alike. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, but, uh, it's otherwise big uncle stuff. He seems like he has a lot of uncles, honestly, in this movie. It, it's a movie about a, a man with an infinite uncles. That's the energy. <laughs> yeah. Uncles and aunts. Um, yeah. It's uh, but like it, it's it's this like super, super um, intense vibe where like, I guess, like the contract is sealed for like their their house of Atreides to become uh, the new like rulers and like facilitators and I guess like colonial impress like oppressors of this desert planet called Arrakis that has that motherfucking spice. Yeah, the spice um, must flow. And that seems and, and so- I guess it's like yeah, sorry, you keep going. Oh, yeah, that seems so good because right before there's like a two or three minute voiceover from Zendaya that's like Arrakis is where we live and it's filled with these like off-worlders who come and mine our spice and hunt us down and suck ass and ruin the planet. Um, and so in a different movie that just opened on Caladan, you'd mm-hmm. be like, ah, time for the grand adventure of House Atreides. But because you have this for like two minutes of Zendaya at the very, very top of the movie, what instead you feel is like, oh, these are the new oppressors. Like, yes, these are the new bad guys who are coming to town and they don't have that air of like pure goodness or whatever. Um, and that's something that's different from not just the book, but also the David Lynch adaptation, because in a lot of the versions of the story, the original sort of starting point is with the Emperor and the Harkonnens making their evil plan behind the scenes to fuck over the Atreides house. So they come mm-hmm. into the story as like underdogs you're rooting for. But mm-hmm. this organization has them come in as like guys who are going to continue a bad business. And so you instantly have like a suspicion of them and the whole intergalactic structure and the Imperium. And I think that's a really interesting and smart way to set up this movie. But the emperor is a jealous man. The emperor is Uh, a jealous man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And so like, I think you're very right that 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 order events really does establish, you know, them as the new oppressors, if not somewhat kinder oppressors. Um, But like this, there is this whole like extra layer though, that it's like, yeah, they're just giving getting the orders from the emperor, who is they are very scared of. I mean, it's it is like very intense when like Oscar Isaac is like being told to like sign that ledger, and it feels like something like really bad and permanent has happened. Yeah, um, 
And that sense of like dread that starts in that scene, like carries through like so much of the film as like this house is slowly betrayed on this desert planet and, and essentially like exterminated um, by the Harkonnen and the emperor. Um, it's like the audience, we like are led pretty early on to realize like what's happening. And then it's for a long time. It's just like watching these people just descend into like a bottomless hole of despair. Well, we know it's a trap and we know the specifics of the trap as the mm-hmm. audience. Like we know the idea is the Atreides will take over Dune. They'll be sabotaged and like prevented from getting the spice out like they're supposed to. And then the Harkonnens with the Imperial Army, the Sardukar, will show up and kill everyone. Like we know that. And the Atreides know that it is a trap, but they do not know the nature of the trap. Just that it is mm-hmm. a trap. Um, and that dramatic irony and that tension makes it really fun because we're watching like on the edge of our seats knowing it's going to go wrong. Like no matter how many cool like hallucinogenic experiences Paul has while looking at a sandworm or like how many times he like passes weird Benny Gesserit tests, we know they're fucked and the way they're fucked. And so do they. And so there's this weird tension of yours watching these people kind of on this death march. Mm-hmm. Um and it's really engrossing because, like, you want, like, you aren't, even though they are the oppressors, like, they do seem, especially once we cut to Getty Prime and we see the Harkonnen guys, like, all looking nasty and floating yeah. around and being gross. Like, we're like, well, at least it's not these guys. Right. Um, And we instant, and, like, we know that Paul, like, has some affinity and gives a shit about the Fremen, um, the, the, the native people of Dune. And uh, you, like... There's just this thing happening where they all have shades of gray, but like one shade is much preferable to the other, but we know that that's not going to last. And it's just like, how is it going to fall apart? Like, when is the other shoe going to fall? And then like, yeah, the shoe falls big time. Yeah. Um, And it's really just like engrossing to sort of like watch it fall apart. Um, I, I think some people sort of like had the complaint that it was all just sort of like unfolding like world building. But like, to me, that's like the first half of the film. And like the second half of the film is, is just like where characters are just making big choices in these final moments to decide what to do next. Yeah. Um, and that was just engrossing enough for me. And I thought the world building style of the film was good. It was a lot better than we usually get it right. There wasn't any, like for instance, uh, you compared Lord of the Rings before. The Lord of the Rings opening voiceover is very like omniscient, right? It's Galadriel who knows everything, mm-hmm. and she's it's good. Don't talk any shit on it though. No, it's awesome. It's great. It's it's super effective. <laughs> it's so good. It's super effective what it's doing. But Dune's doing something different, where it's Chani's over. It's Chani's VO, right? So we're only getting her perspective on things, and we're only getting her interpretation of the world. And that's how all the world building works. It's there's never a part where someone sits down and is like, here's the deal. It's scenes where characters have conversations, they express their worldview and that worldview contains little bits and pieces of what the world is. And so there's never like a really boring exposition dump. There are just scenes where someone's like, this is a sandworm. We're going to go try and track one down so you can see it. And while they're tracking it down, they also learn about thumpers and about how the spice works and about like the harvesting process. Um. And things like that. Uh, And I think that it really works to not, to just not feel boring. Like, 
it's it's hard to pull off one of the one of the hard things about these sci-fi fantasy movies is that it's hard to justify characters talking about what the world is shaped like because it's mm-hmm. like why would they explain this they know it but because they're all like off-world people or they have these differences they're talking through things in ways that it makes sense for them to talk about and they just give you little chunks and snippets um and you can put together a pretty good uh a pretty good sense of like what everything is from that and that sense of storytelling does keep you on the edge of your seat, listening to like every detail, trying to build more and like be your own little detective. Um, but on top of that, there's also like some just decent exposition that's like nicely wrapped into the plot because like Paul is going on a trip and he needs to like study. So like the few little exposition dumps where he's learning about the planet are satisfying because they are building tension for you to see that worm. And they also like aren't <laughs> like the worm tension is so real in that movie. Like they <laughs> hold off so long before you finally see a full worm. Yeah. Um, but it's just like jaws in that sense where they're just like, they're putting this like thing out there and it's just like, Oh man, I cannot wait to see that. motherfucker. going to get that worm. And also all those exposition, like, like learning scenes, the learning is never the key drama of the scene, right? Like he always gets interrupted by someone uh, or the hunter seeker shows up in the middle of it or whatever. And so the whole scene yeah, isn't just he about, gets assassinated. Yeah. And so the whole scene isn't just about, oh, this is where we learn about X. It's he is currently learning about X and then a different thing happens, um, which makes the scene way more dynamic and more fun than, mm-hmm. than it is. If it's just like, I'm going to go watch my video about the worm that's actually how RFK died, Hunter Seeker. I mean, Hunter Seekers are very effective. It's shockingly impressive that Paul was able to, mm-hmm. uh, the Paul is able to to fight one off. Um, yeah. Uh, so like, yeah, all, all that stuff is is super cool world building that definitely all works. Uh, all the performers are really great. I, I did also have a note. Um, that I love like the like Dune's version of the Jedi because they're just like way more evil and corrupt and like just on their face, just like shady people. Yeah, I love that Dune has like several <laughs> versions of the Jedi and they're all kind of like clearly shady. Oh, really? That's great. Well, you've yeah, got like the you've got the Benny Jesseret, the like weird space witches, right? Right. Uh, you've got the guild of navigators who i don't think we're even in the movie but are very much kind of magic space wizard guys um hmm. and you've got the mentats who you kind of see in the movie like that one guy who rolls his eyes back and like does the crazy logic yeah. problem in his head those are like human computers yeah exactly um so you have all these different spins on like magic space wizard and every single one of them immediately feels like mm, all right <laughs> like i don't know about you yeah uh, and it rules and i thought the fucking i thought the Gonjabar test where he put his hand in the box with the needle played insanely well and was like really good and tense um yeah that like that stuff was cool and i was like oh like wow it's like yeah like this weird jedi order that like whispers to the emperor and stuff like yeah of course they're not to be trusted they're little freaks and it's like the the blandness and sort of the like of the Jedi Order and sort of the what the heck are you guys even doing in here like kind of like it's it, it's it's so funny like all the characters in in the Dune world have like very aggressive motivations yeah and it's, um where, where it seems like people in like Star Wars are just kind of vibing yeah and it's like it's funny because in in Dune. 
uh, in all the iterations, especially in this one, it's just like, everyone's just like, oh yeah, the Benny Jester are out there like trying to breed a superhero. And everyone's like, and that's fine. <laughs> like no one seems mad about it or even like questions it. They're like, this is the natural way of things. Of course, that's what they're doing. It's what they do. Uh, and I thought that was, that was, that's like a fun, weird thing about this world is that like, all of the weird fucked up elements of it are stuff that people at this point in time in history because we're 10,000 years in the empire or whatever. Um, that's just stuff that they take for granted. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like, uh, so so all that shit was working on a hardcore level. I got to give another big shout out to my boy, Hans Zimmer, on the track because, you know, a lot of Hans Zimmer sometimes he's come become the butt of some jokes. But I feel like with a movie about a worm that's coming towards you in the sand, it just works. And it felt like a unique spin while still having some of his soul that you know him for. Like, I, I like the soundtrack. I'll give you that. It worked for the worms. I don't think it worked all the time, but yeah, it worked for maybe. the worm sequences for sure. Like that first time when the with the big mountain of sand is coming towards them and that music, it just it it's like it was made for worms. Yeah, um, it, it kind of was, and all the worm reveals like you kind of got at every worm scene rules. You've got the first worm scene where the carry all doesn't latch on to the harvester. Yes, and the worm comes and gets it, and that like that's just such a great that scene is just all about scale. Like, it's basically they're all they're all scenes from Jaws. It's like a scene where you don't see the beast, but you almost get caught by it. And yeah. then there's there's a scene where you see the tip of its face when the lady gets eaten by with the soldiers. Yeah. And then there's that big reveal uh, in the third act. Yeah, and where it comes up and it's the shy halud, the, the the desert, the yeah. desert life or whatever. Yeah. Um. But yeah. The, but then, baby, that final shot. That final shot of the worm at the end of the movie. Oh, where, yeah. Spoiler alert. If you've come this far, I don't know why, if you haven't seen it. But when he at the end of the movie, when he looks out on the horizon and there is someone riding the worm, I just stood up out of my seat in my living room and was like, yes. Yeah. Because it because, again, seeding stuff for the future movies like that's some shit that's going to matter. Um, and it's so cool that they got that in there. Also, just to rewind a little bit from that moment is I thought they did a good job of doing something that movies tend to be really bad at, which is having these big battle scenes and distinguishing a who's on what side B who's doing what and C who's good at what. Um, I thought it was really easy to tell who were the Harkonnens, who were the Atreides, who were the Sardaukar. And because it was easy to tell, and the movie laid out that, like, Harkonnen guys suck, the Atreides guys are really good, Sardaukar's even better. Mm-hmm. You could kind of tell the dynamic of these fights from, like, a wide angle where you'd be like, oh, it's these Atreides guys, these Harkonnen guys, oh, wait, some Sardaukar just appeared behind them, they're fucked. Yeah. Um, I thought that was so impressive the way they created this, like, geography of combat space. All the one-on-one fights looked really cool. They maybe weren't as weird looking as they could have been, but they were really cool. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's it, and also it's a funny thing where it was like it was a very Game of Thrones style thing where it's like, oh, well, well, this House of Atreides is like so talented 
in fair combat but like the second that they are like have to confront actual trickery and unfairness and like backstabbing like they don't even imagine anyone could do that to them they're like they didn't prepare at all like they have no like they they kind of do but they they don't they're just like children compared to the rulers that they're running around with it's like they're so dumb well they were like on top of the idea that there would be a threat from outside and that there should be stabbed what they were extremely not on top of was that the call would come from inside the house but 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 like legitimately like the like the fact that they fucked up so hard that they were able to get their entire systems and shields and like lights and like everything shut down to get like just surprise attacked it's like you gotta know that's gonna happen right like you gotta you gotta vet come on you gotta vet dr (laughs) ua Like, I just you if, gotta if Doctor Yue's whole thing is that his wife is kidnapped by the Harkonnens, yeah, you just yeah. you just maybe be like, look, Doctor, it, I love you, but we yeah. have some Harkonnen stuff going on. Right. You need to not be here. For me, it's like, do you really want this or not? Because it's like that's big questions you got to ask yourself when you're being the head of uh, of a, and obviously Oscar Isaac says he never wanted this and yeah he probably wasn't well suited for this which is like well established in the movie um but yeah my greater point isn't that this is bad writing it's really good writing and and well set up that oscar isaac's character never was well suited to be a schemer but you gotta be frustrated for this house that just gets absolutely wrecked um but you can also see man i can't believe you have a human computer who wasn't just like background check everyone just owned absolutely owned um and, and and you know it all it also seemed like even in those battles where the atreides are getting owned like they could have beaten even the zardakar maybe like if they hadn't been like betrayed like yeah. if it was like a one-on-one fight like it would have been close um and, and i think that's that was pretty cool to see and like really well visually directed that way yeah i think um, so too yeah. and on, on the note of the betrayal stuff even even the dr ua shit even though I'm, I'm giving them some shit for not checking his background like they do a good job of making him make a choice that makes sense where he's like i have a way where i can maybe save my wife and i can probably kill the bear with this poison gas move mm-hmm. um and it just doesn't work because the baron flies up into the ceiling and curls up in a little ball <laughs> Yeah, he's got a freaking jetpack. Yeah, he just jetpacks away from that gas. But like, so even UA's actions are are understandable. The one thing is just like, if some if if there's going to be someone who operates near the royal family all the time and has access to all the machines, you got to make sure the one people you're at war with don't have like extreme leverage over him. Like, right? You just got to be sure. It's just, <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not asking for a lot here. We're asking for some basic thing it's like a major opsec error and also how about this how about make it so like one person can't take all the shields down like yeah like try try that yeah make it (laughs) make it a dual switch thing make it a lot of switches maybe you need 12 guys I personally love shields. I don't know why you would want to turn them off all the time. Anyways. <laughs> people it's, love, it's, yeah, that's true. People love to put the shields down. And it's like, no, those got to stay up. You yeah, got to keep like, those up. I keep mine on during sex. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that's CDC recommended. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the shields were cool. I, li- I liked all the shield weird tech um, stuff in the movie. Yeah, I thought the shields um, yeah. looked pretty cool. And I thought that was, I thought they did a good job of... 
I wish they'd hone in this a little bit more. It's one of my favorite things about Dune, but the idea that the fighting style in space is that you have to swing really fast and then slow the blade down as it gets close so it can mm. go slow enough to go through the shield, which they mm-hmm. they kind of get at, and they showed really well visually. Um, but uh, I wish that had been a little bit more of a thing. Yeah, it was... It was- I, as someone who was loving the movie, I got to say, I missed that logic and I was always a little confused. Yeah, they did a decent job of showing it where it's like they swing in and then do another move once they're in close um, to kill the guys. But yeah, it was yeah. it was so, not super clear. That's, that's so interesting. It's such an interesting thing you got to do there. So, so yeah, it's ugh, a really it's good, bleak. really good sci fi thing. One another thing, speaking of things I wish I had more of, is I needed another thirty seconds to a minute of fucking Dave Batista as Glosu Beast Raban. Like, I just needed a little bit more of like the most intimidating badass space psycho mm-hmm. to like be doing this because like they really only give you one true like moment where he earns the name Beast, which is like there's that long shot of him just chopping dudes' heads off, mm-hmm. and that ruled that fucking ruled ass. Um, but that's like that's that guy's like core identity is being this like weird space sadist military monster, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just would have liked to get a little bit more of that. And again, like the the Harkonnens, we get a lot more time with Harkonnens in the second half of the book, and and Fade, aka Fade, who is played by Sting in the David Lynch version, uh, shows up and and becomes a very important part of that, and, and so does Beast and all that. But like. I really would have liked to see a little bit more of that because right now, one of my only problems with movies is that right now the Harkonnens don't look like master schemers to me. The Harkonnens look like the chosen weapon of an assassination perpetrated by the Emperor. Yeah, they're just greedy. Yeah, they just look like like patsies. And I wish and like they're fine being patsies because it's something they want to do anyway, but like I would have really liked to give them a little bit more nasty sauce. Like it's not like the like the Baron comes up with any super good scheme. His scheme is literally we'll blackmail a guy and then drop in our shitty army, and we'll distract by our shitty army. The Emperor's good army will come and kill everyone. And yeah, and like Beast doesn't really do anything but behead guys on their knees and scream. And it's like I want a little bit more of them being bad, bad. Um, to 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 couple with how much good stuff. Uh, well, he's got that he's got that weird slimy pet. That's true. What is that thing? He's a little nasty guy. He's got a little nasty little little dude. <laughs> He's got a little nasty guy. Yeah, it's we a, love it's it. Amazing. I mean, I I like that. I was I, I thought they were appropriately nasty, and I thought that Skarsgård was was just gross and disgusting. Oh, yeah, I thought their aesthetic was evil. perfect. Um, their aesthetic was perfect. Mm-hmm. Their vibe was great. I just like kind of wanted more in the narrative, like threat out of them. Yeah, um, for sure. Like they seem, uh, they seem totally like. Oh, if Paul gets his shit together, these guys are done. Like, they're not. They aren't that good at well, this. They, well, they have uh, the backing of everyone, though. Yeah, they so have, that's the, the, they have the Sardaukar on their side, which is a big, obviously a pretty big deal, because they're the Emperor's Blade, the finest soldiers in the Empire. Even though they look like just, like, spacesuit nerds. Yeah. Like, they're caught... <laughs> <laughs> Their costume is so ridiculous. Yeah, but we love them. We love them. Um, I guess the last thing to talk about, uh, or one of the last things to talk about, is is just the back. The back, like, th- well, the 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 back half is split into kind of two sections. Where there's one, which is Paul and his mom wandering in the desert, mm-hmm. um, and he's having his crazy jihad visions. Uh, yeah, and I loved all that shit. I thought the shit was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I thought all of it worked. 
I was, I was into all of it, you know, uh, I want to give big props to the, the people who cut the, the trailer and all the ads for Dune for making it look like Zendaya was in this one, uh, <laughs> like big props. Um, yeah, she's like a kind of like a, more of like a music video character, uh, in this one. Yeah. I mean, she, again, she's another second half character, but it's funny to hinge all the advertising for the first half movie on a character who's mostly in the second half of the story. You see her through like curtains and stuff like that. And yeah, she's, it's uh, a lot of visions. Uh, I like the, I like the weird mom. I, I like that. She's been weirdly religious yeah. <laughs> to like a really weird religion. Yeah. Well, yeah, she's a Betty Jesuit. Like she broke the Betty Jesuit rules because of how much she loved her husband. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah. The whole thing is that she was supposed see, to see that there was just a lot there where it's like, oh, like I, I largely understand the basics of drama, but not the specifics. Yeah. There was so much. Right. Because like her thing and they, they again, it's, it's just like the Shields thing, right? Like there's the lines to make this clear are in the movie, but probably yeah. once. Right. Um, right. Once. And it's in the middle of a lot of other stuff. So like yes. they explain that like she was supposed to have daughters because that's the Bene Gesserit way, unless they're ready to birth the Quitsat Satarak, the sort of master super person who will be a boy with special brain powers. A special boy. Yeah. Um and then the whole thing is that she gave birth to Paul against the rules because uh Oscar Isaac needed an heir. Uh-huh. Um, and then that's why everyone, that's why the older witch is mad at her. But again, that is one of the weaknesses of this movie, such as they exist, is that that's a really cool thing that gets 10 seconds of time. Uh, yeah, because because there's no plot later to like play out that stuff that much. Right. Exactly. So it's like they have to keep it short. And like, but yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. It's just so, so much stuff. And then they when they finally meet the Fremen... I actually thought that was one of the most clear kind of like world building parts was when they meet the Fremen actually. Um, and like he has to have the duel to like join the crew and like they meet Stilgar for the second time. And he's like, here's the deal. Here's what we do. Um, and I thought that part all like that part all felt really clear to me um, and propulsive. And it felt like that's a part of this movie where you don't there's not like a shitload of lore that's more straight up world building. And it's very, it made very clear, like the nature of these people and like their whole situation, which is great because their whole situation is like going to be one of the most important, uh, uh, one of the most important sort of truths about the coming movies. Do you think that they have a matrix rave cave? Um, I hope so. They definitely have, a cave that could pull off a matrix rave. I don't know if they're going to do a matrix rave cave in the movie. It'd be really nice if they could do a little homage, a little, little matrix rave cave. I know that you guys just announced Dune part two, Timothy, if you're listening, consider it sprinkled in there. Yeah. Why not? Denny, give me a rave cave. Um, yeah. Um, I, I know that the Fremen stuff will be interesting because I trust in the storytelling, but to me, that last bit was actually the least interesting part of the movie. Um, because it was like, oh, I know he's not in real danger. He's going to like beat this guy. Um, and that's about it. And it's like, oh, maybe, maybe the mom dies. I see. uh, I kind of, I forgot how that part went. And so right up until his vision go, the part of his vision just gives away what's going to happen where the vision just goes, when you take another life, you lose your own. 
Paul Atreides must die for the Quitsat Zatarak to be born. It was like, okay, well, now I know. Mm-hmm. Like, now I know exactly what's going to kill someone. That's how Paul Atreides dies in the Quitsat Zatarak. Sure. Like, you just laid out what's about to happen for me. But up until that moment, I was like, does he get stabbed and, like, have a, like, a, like, near-death experience brain thing happen or something? Yeah, um, I just was like, okay, let's get over with. Because I was way more interested in, like, how these empires were clashing than, like, how he gets inducted into the tribe, which I know he will be. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, the, and, but, the, the politics, is, but, you know, the politics like, is just so fucking cool. But, you know, it's still, it, regardless, it ends on a high note with them taking him into the tribe. And, you know, because it is the first sort of positive victory after a long series of defeats for our heroes. In a, in a movie that, that, to be honest, was just, like, so palpably filled with dread when you like like these characters and you just knew how fucked they were yeah um and and that and it was so it, it ends on a high note it ends with him looking out over the horizon seeing that motherfucking ride that worm and you're like oh my god i gotta see more worm riding yeah and that, um, that gets me to kind of i think my last thought on this because probably wrap up. we've gone a little bit over our normal amount of time but like uh in every way this movie was just not spoon feeding its audience like it was not treating the audience like babies. It was it was like putting you in sink or swim, like no fucking uh sort of winky embarrassed at itself. Like oh yeah, here's the goofy explanation for the magical cores or whatever shit you get from Marvel. Like yeah, it, there was only one or two of those moments with Jason Momoa, and Jason Momoa is talented enough to make it just normal. Right, well, and that's the character he's playing. Right, like having it there be one guy who's kind of winky is like. Right, he's the he's that's why he's Paul's favorite uncle, right? Is that he's like the fun guy. Um, yeah, it's because not everyone is like that. But the movie as a whole was very like it took its subject matter very seriously. Yes, um, and it assumed that the audience was just going to like the audience would just follow along, like it believed in its audience's ability to just follow the plot, um, even if they didn't catch every single buried detail in a movie full of a million buried details. Um, and I think that's like. To me, that's really encouraging, and the the audience response is really encouraging because you and I have complained about how Marvel movies just sort of spoon feed bullshit to the audience all the time. That's like their worst tendency, and the idea that movies that don't do that get this level of positive response um, makes me hopeful that maybe more movies will be like, "Oh, we can make nerd shit that isn't ashamed of being nerd shit," because that's one of the Marvel mm-hmm. problems is that they're like, whenever it gets deeply nerdy, they have someone has to be like, "No, but you know, it's not that weird." <laughs> It's true. Yeah. It's like whenever they like are com- too committed to an idea, they're like, um, yeah, that happened. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's like they're they're like afraid of like actually having a connection. Yeah. They're Whoa. just they, they, they think like to like to them, the like weird logic of like some magical space character is like embarrassing and weird. And the goal is like sort of get it out of the way as quickly as possible and just put it off to the side. Whereas yeah. in Dune, that's like. That's the thing. Like, that's the thing they want you to have fun with. Yeah. And it's the Sigma mindset. It's big time Sigma mindset. And <laughs> and that's something that we on this podcast are known to respect. Um, do you have any final thoughts before we head out of here? Um, my final thought is that this fully cements me into the Timothy Chalamet fan base. Didn't know much about him. Never had strong negative feelings, but was very ambivalent. But I'll go ahead and say it. I think he's pretty competent as a lead ingenue uh, and a little boy. And uh, I'm all on board. I love him. All right. Well, you know what I need from him. He's still got to pass the Wonka test or he's nothing to me. But 
I think that I think that's a fucking impossible test. Yeah, well, you know what? So is the Gonja bar. So like, get over it, dog. I, I literally don't think anyone can pass the Wonka test. Gee, at you this know, Gene Wilder did it. No, literally, I think, I think Owen Wilson could. Um, wow! Look at all these candies. Wow! Where'd <laughs> so, I get all these uh, tiny orange men? Wow! So, so, so we killed your kid. <laughs> So, so I, I put your kid in a tube. <laughs> he, drowned in cho- uh, he drowned in chocolate. Wow. Why, why did I do that? Wow. I can't, <laughs> I can't believe he just died so fast. Wow. Uh, so I think that he could do it, but I just, I think that I don't need a young Wonka. I don't either. But okay, so, this is, so you're right. I think, this, that, this says, I think that Timothy's set up to fail, much like House Atreides. This, the Emperor is a very jealous man when casting this role. God damn it. I'm so pissed. And now I'm ending the episode. Folks, don't, make sure to check out all of our links and all of our social media pages. You can find Haley on YouTube and Instagram at Eat Every Sound. You can find me, Lux, on, twi- on Twitter at Tailboy, that's T-A-I-L underscore B-O-I, and on Twitch every Thursday at twitch.tv slash pixelgoblins, where I play Shin Megami Tensei with our friend Forrest. You can find Griffin on Twitter at Griffin P. Davis and on TikTok at the same, and also on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Room. And our art is by Rory Blank. Our music is by Matthew Morton. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will talk to you again soon. Goodbye, everyone. Peace. Thank you all so much, our valued audience customers, for being here with us all these years through the good times, through the bad times, um, you know, and into the dark beyond. I'm still playing Final Fantasy XIV, um, and I'm going to go do that right now. Everyone, be safe, be good, 